Well, shall we? Let's pray. Lord, give us grateful hearts now for all of our blessings. Open um, your word to us um, as the word became flesh and dwelt, dwells among us. Um, help us now to prepare our hearts to receive the, uh, uh, the incarnate Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So it's good to see everyone. Just telling Perry up here. Uh, uh, I feel like I say this every time. It's just I, li- I like doing this class, uh, this, this week, this particular class. I've probably done it three or four times now. And, um, you know, I'm not even going to apologize anymore. I'm just going to quit doing that apology for what? For having some repetition because we're going to see a quote, a new quote, um, to me anyway, from G.K. Chesterton of why... Uh, uh, why the repetition and why that's good. Um, that is like kind of squaring up to some text. So that's kind of the idea, one-liners, lines from hymns or from scripture or, uh, or you know, one-liners, so to speak, images that have to do with, um, with Christmas, either culturally or the incarnation or something else like that. So that's what it is. And this year, what I primarily did was thinking of a way, I had the, uh, the leaflet that we're going to have for Christmas Eve, um, at 5, uh, 8, and 11, and also Christmas Day, if you come to that service, which we don't, but, but if you do, uh, you'll see the, some of the hymns and the text that we read there. So in some ways, this is a preface for Thursday and Friday. Isn't Thursday, Christmas Eve, is that right? For Thursday and Friday. So that when we see this, very intentionally, at least for me, so that as we come back here on Christmas Eve for services or for Christmas Day for services, that maybe we'll engage have engaged the text already so that we've kind of prepared ourselves um, for, uh, for what's coming. So, so that's the reason for all this. And so with that, uh, to read Linus's great passage, which we also read on Christmas Eve, um, the Christmas story from Luke 2. And I dare say this is repetition for all of us. We've heard this before, and yet every year we, uh, we like hearing it. Um, we come back to it again and again and again. And, uh, and maybe it gets old to you, but I hope not. Because here's the, here's the story, the Christmas story, so to speak, from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. In Lights, please. <laughs> In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. 
And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. The word of the Lord. And so, what Episcopalians we are, isn't that great? Um, and so, G.K. Chesterton, he's a Roman Catholic, um, contempor- a little bit of a, an early contemporary. I think he probably wrote this in the 20s, if I remember, one of his, his two best-known works called Orthodoxy. And he had this word um, for a, uh, he was a contemporary, I was going to say a pre-contemporary of people like J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and Charles Williams, more of a contemporary of Charles, that group that became known as the Inklings in, in Oxford. Of course, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia books and many other things, and Tolkien, who wrote The Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, G.K. Chesterton was a big influence on them. Uh, and he had this to say in Orthodoxy. I'm thinking about why we come back, and a lot of Mark's Genelette's great sermon, why we come back <coughs> year after year, and, uh, and we still come back to Christmas, and we almost ache, that heartache, that nostalgia, as I love that word, I've talked about it many, many, many times, that heartache, that longing for home is what that word means, and we feel somehow that Christmas does that. It takes us back. Now, that's mixed with our childhood and our literal homes. Growing up, childhood, and all that stuff. Um, the place of home, which where Freud took it back to the mom. It's, it's great. There's some of that in there. Why not? Um, but even farther back than there. Because if we could go back in our time machines and go back to childhood, ah, um, it wouldn't be enough, would it? It wouldn't satisfy. That ache would not be salved. It wouldn't be filled. The hole is too deep even for actual time to fill. And so with all that in mind, some of this ache, which I do hope very much to kind of arouse, and, and at least in me, um, to, uh, to have that heart prepared for the room. Uh, what, what's, the, what's the line? Um, let every heart prepare him room so that we can be, have a heart prepared for Thursday, for Friday, for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as a baby, to fill that, that, that gape. Why do we come back to it every day? Every, yeah, every day, every year, every day, every moment. We come back to the same old story, especially around here, the Advent, where we talk about the Gospel every single Sunday. And y'all keep coming back. Thanks be to God. Um, because we need that one word. We need the word of Christmas. We need the word of Good Friday. We need the word of Easter. We need the word of the Ascension every single day. And we come back to it again and again and again. And somehow, it's not monotonous. And this is Chesterton's idea. Because children have a bounding vitality. Because they are in spirit, fierce and free. Therefore, they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until they are nearly dead. <laughs> you know, Daddy, can you read it again? Um, for grown-up people are not strong enough to exult in monotony. 
But perhaps, perhaps God is strong enough to exult in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. Every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that He has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. There's something to that. that we have sinned and grown old. That is, we grow up. We have confused the idea of growing up with becoming more independent, more autonomous, more autonomous, a law unto ourselves. And we grow up and we get farther and farther and farther away from our God, farther and farther and farther away from the salve which will heal the sin-sick soul, farther and farther and farther away from each other. But our Father has remained eternally young and He exults in the monotony. And somehow we know that ache. We recognize that ache at Christmas, somehow, when we see the child, we have this idea of that, e- not eternal, eternal, eternal youth, not to be forever young, sort of a Dylan sense, but just to go back to the place where we grow down. When, when our Lord says, Suffer the little children unto me, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, where we grow down, and we become more dependent, more, less autonomous, and more fully alive, knowing that apart from Him we can do no thing. And somewhere there's Christmas. Um, and so then we come into this place of, from that monotony to the ordinary, um, to this place of, uh, of considering, and again, if you heard the sermon at 9, if you hear it at 11, you hear a strong echo, not surprisingly. Uh, what sort of night was it, and how did He appear in this backwater? Where were you from? You know, Bethlehem, but my kin come from, I'm from Nazareth, but my kin come from Bethlehem. So I go there to Bethlehem, to the city of bread, uh, a suburb, no, a good water, like he said, you know, on the outskirts of, uh, of, um, of, uh, of Jerusalem. I go there. Uh, that's where I go with my betrothed to be counted in the census. And we hear that in Luke 2, but then he comes out in this most strange way. What sort of night was this? And there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks by night. Well, it was this ordinary region. There were ordinary fields. There were ordinary shepherds with ordinary sheep on an ordinary night. There was nothing and no thing that made it extraordinary. And that's, the, that's just like God, just like Mark said. That's just like God to work in the ordinary, not in the extraordinary. This wasn't sort of the night when, you know, the whole world was assembled to watch the Super Bowl in New York City and when God said, well, I got everybody's attention, so I might as well come in here. No, it was a night like any other night. Uh, it will be the equivalent. You know, I've said garbage men before. That's probably right. Or just a monotonous job, day in, day out, week in, week out, year in, year out. You go to be a clerk at a gas station or something like that. That would be it. Um, That's what shepherds are. An ordinary night uh, to ordinary people doing ordinary things. And so then, excuse me, come over here. We start to think about Jesus, and I started looking at, this is so easy to do, by the way. I mean, you just look at Google images, and you just drag them over, 
and look at all the ways that we see Jesus. Um, some of which are really crazy. You got the carbines and you know, sort of very Caucasian and all that sort of stuff. I mean, you can just find all these different images of Jesus. Scary how often now he's with lightsabers, and it's all over the place. It seems to be Jesus with lightsabers and dinosaurs these days. The muscular Jesus, another carbine, Jesus wrestling Satan, all this sort of stuff. But but what is it? This was even an AL.com. Uh, whatever he was, he looked like an ordinary man. Isaiah even says he had no form or appearance that made him comely to us. You wouldn't have noticed him. We'd bump into him and we'd rock right by. He's totally just like everybody else in his time. And very disconcerting to us, white folk in the middle of Birmingham, uh, he doesn't look like us. He doesn't look like us. We wouldn't recognize him if he came through. And so he goes through, and Jesus, just being ordinary on an ordinary night, and then they go to, uh, to have the census. This is Mary and Joseph going to the place where their people are from, because that's the only way they could sort of you know, count everybody so they would know how to, how to apportion the tax. And so it's their, it's their record-keeping way, so they can put out the, the receipts to make sure that the government would keep going. And so it was a crowded, crowded place, and they had no place that's India, I suppose, and so they go to a stable, which isn't pretty. We like to dress it up and we make it look like something else. It's probably a lot worse than this if you've ever worked a stall for any reason. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's not fun. We can throw hay around and like, oh, isn't this soft hay? It's not. It's itchy. It smells. Things live in it. It's mixed with manure. Uh, the animals step on it. They, they do everything else on it. It's, it's not clean. It's not pretty. It's not good. You wouldn't want to do this. Uh, it's dirty. It's a place that you put away from where you live for a reason because it's a place where diseases rest. And then the baby is born, some baby like that, just a forgotten child, just the blue cold child, as Flannery O'Connor would call him, um, being born on an ordinary night to ordinary people. That's why I emphasize all that. Because Christmas, um, the scripture is, is, is massively unromantic as it approaches Christmas. There's no sort of renewal of hope. I read that this week. That, you know, God gives us a sign, and this will be a sign to you. For the baby shall be born in Bethlehem. And so God, uh, every time a baby is born, it's a statement of God's renewal of hope for humanity. I disagree with that fundamentally. That's not true. God's not saying anything about uh, our basically good human condition and saying, I believe in you. you know, I'm going to say I believe in you because I keep sending you babies. That's, there's nothing, there's no good biblical idea there. Why did Christ come? Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's a saying that's trustworthy and true. The incarnation always has a blue note. So Thursday when we come, we have in a certain sense a heaviness of heart. A... Um, a melancholy, a blue note, a fear where the hopes and fears of all the years come in a very poignant impression right there. We could feel them. We should. We might. I'll say that. Why? Because the baby didn't come to renew hope. The baby didn't come just to sort of say, see, I'm smiling and cooing and I hope that makes you feel good um, and to say that, hey, I'm with you and that's going to be enough. It, it's not enough. Christmas always comes in the shadow of Easter. And Easter always stands immediately before the cross. 
And so the blue note of Christmas, this blue-cold child born in Bethlehem, born on an ordinary night to ordinary people in ordinary time, always has a strong streak of sadness to it. It should. We're going to get to the place of joy to the world, by the way, before the hour, but we need to, we need to reckon with that. that. That sense of the sadness that's here, this baby born as the prince of peace, but who actually comes as the disturber of the peace for the angel said to Mary, For this is good news, good tidings of great joy, but Mary, a sword will pierce your soul. This isn't the end of the story. The baby doesn't come and, and live a, a, a healthy and prosperous life to show us the way out. That's not what he does. He comes to die. And um, also what I've done several times, but not in a couple of years, I think, so it's probably long enough. You know, G.K. Cheshire gave me a lot of uh, ammunition to repeat myself, so that's good. Um, T.S. Eliot's really great little poem called Journey of the Magi. Why do I like it? Um, I like it because uh, he doesn't let Christmas turn completely sentimental and saccharine. Um, there's definitely the mixture of Good Friday. He pulls the idea of the blood at the birth, very present with the blood at the death. There was a birth, we had evidence and no doubt, but there was also death. Um, and we'll hear that. Alec Guinness, um, as Star Wars is going on, Obi-Wan Kenobi, in other words, uh, he reads this. It's an old recording of, 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 uh, of, uh, of T.S. Eliot's Journey of the Magi. And then we'll look at it and try to um, come back a little bit. So, without further ado, let me see if I can get this to work. And hopefully it'll work like it did a minute ago. Cold coming, we had of it. Just the worst time of the year for a journey, and such a long journey. The way is deep and the weather's sharp, the very dead of winter. And the camels, gall, soft footed, reflected, lying That's down the end of the poem. in the snow. There were times we regretted the summer palaces on slopes, the terraces, and the silken girls bringing sherbet. And the camel men cursing and grumbling and running away wanting their liquor and women, and the night fires going out, and the lack of shelters, and the cities hostile, and the towns unfriendly, and the villages dirty and charging high prices. A hard time we had of it. At the end, we preferred to travel all night, sleeping in snatches, with the voices singing in our ears, saying that this was all then at dawn we came down to a temperate valley, wet, below the snow line, smelling of vegetation, with a running stream and a water mill beating the darkness, and three trees on the low sky, and an old white horse galloped away in the meadow. Then we came to a tavern with vine leaves over the lintel, six hands at an open door, dicing for pieces of silver, and feet kicking the empty wineskins. But there was no information. And so we continued and arrived at evening, not a moment too soon, finding the place. It was, you may say, satisfactory. All this was a long time ago, I remember. And I would do it again, but set down this, set down this where we led all that way for birth or death, 
There was a birth, certainly. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but had thought they were different. This birth was hard and bitter agony for us. Like death, our death. We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here, in the old dispensation, with an alien people clutching their gods. I shall be glad of another so I shall be glad of another death. Um, what Elliot's tapping, this blue note, this sadness, this fear, in fact, that here comes the baby, the Prince of Peace. But peace, peace, there is no peace. This disturber of peace, the one who will bring to his mother a sword to pierce her heart, um, the one who, as Mark mentioned, well, he doesn't leave us alone. You know, that's to be reckoned as well, to, to prepare for every heart to prepare him room. Well, Mark... <laughs> room for him. He doesn't come in and sort of just leave you alone. Prince of Peace, absolutely. But I should be glad of another death. His death. Hard to say that. But why? Because he comes and imagine if we were in that in-between time being born. Jesus again doesn't, isn't born just to live a life, to live long and prosper. He's born with the purpose of coming to die. And so he comes and he's, uh, and he's raised, he's circumcised on the eighth day, and he's named Jesus, just like it was said he would be um, in the prophecy while he was still in his mother's womb, brought to the place where he would come and disturb everything, turn everything on its ear, no longer at comfort in the old dispensation. That's a very fancy word. In the old order of things. Something new. Behold, all things are made new, um, and the old will pass away. And these are the beginning of birth pangs. There's a change. There's a turn. And he's inviting us to mark that. And this disquiet time. We can't go back, he's saying. We came all this way, but for what? A birth? It was a birth, certainly, but also a death. Maybe our own death. Maybe the end of life as we knew it. Something else has now come. Now, that's ultimately good news. But before we go there, like William Alexander Percy's hymn, we sang this last Sunday, uh, for they cast their nets in Galilee is the hymn where it says the peace of God it is no peace but strife closed in the side yet let us pray for but one thing the marvelous peace of God just to prick our ears to be open to this tension this very strange paradox that we pray for peace the prince of peace who brings no peace at all as the Lord himself would say, Do you think I have come to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, not peace, but rather division. This isn't what gets played enough, by the way. This is out of Luke chapter 12. Do you think I have come to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law, this could be good news for some of y'all, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Jesus squares up to the fact that I am a divider. I do not leave things undivided. I call out, follow me, and you separate. I separate you, and I come for you. And I come for you. And I come for you. And that's a blue note. This, sto this, this, this blue cold child. Christ Jesus who came into the world to save sinners. So holding that, but I do want to turn 
to try to give some hope here. For a light shines in the darkness. Um, we hear this on Christmas Eve from Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness, because when we know that we're in the darkness, when we hear that tension, when we're connected to that longing for something which nothing can fill, when we're aware of the peace child coming as a disturber of the peace, we're left outside and we're wondering, well, what then? What then, Lord? Where is their hope? And the hope dawns out of Isaiah's prophecy. For the people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation. Thou hast increased its joy. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He's hanging himself on his promise. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Will bring about a new order of things to bring this old dispensation to let it pass away and to say something new, something new has come. But there's tension as this people who walk in darkness and dwell in a land of deep darkness, existing as a certain poor shepherd in a fe- in, on a cold winter's night when the hopes and the fears of all the years, when these rise to the surface, we begin to see him reveal himself again, particularly to the shepherds. On that, and we hear the word now, that, not all, but on that night, in that region, in that specific time, that's the whole reason for it. when Quirinius was governor and in the region outside of Judea, in the field where the shepherds were, those particular shepherds at that particular point in time, the Lord reveals himself to certain poor shepherds from the first Noel in fields as they lay on a cold winter's night that was so deep. In thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and the fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And just one little slide. You know, I spent a lot of time in Bolivia, and I talk about that a lot because it's been a lot to me. It means a lot to me. And these are shepherds. Again, they're not, they're not glamorous. Most of them are kids. That's what struck me as we'd go out to the place of Aramisi, looking around, see anybody else went there. Anybody else been out there with me? Um, you know, they're children. They're like five years old, and they're just looking over these nasty sheep. They're just clotted, and they're gross, and they're dirty, and they're matted. But it's their livelihood, and they can shear it, and they make their wool, and they eat them, and they provide milk, all that stuff. But they give it to the kids, and they're just walking around, and they take them out all day, and they put them back in their pen at night. And I watched all that stuff, just so biblical. But look how ordinary they are. And these are people in a forgotten place, in a forgotten time. I mean, they just, they don't have the internet, they don't have anything. It's just not there. It's hard to overstate that. And it was to such as these where the Lord reveals himself. So within all that in mind, um, probably my favorite hymn, my favorite carol the last couple of years remains Annie Lennox in the bleak midwinter. And so I'm trying to bring now from the tension to some exaltation out of, of uh, the hopes and fears resting in a very pregnant place in a particular person at a particular place in your life or in your heart where it's come up, where there's a stymied relationship or an ache, um, 
or just a realization, you know, life isn't quite the way I hoped it would be. Christmas isn't what it once was, and I don't think I can do anything about it. I'm not turning my family the way I want them to be, whatever it is. In the bleak midwinter, it's a good hymn for us. It's a good, it's a good song for us. Um, and what do I like Annie Lennox's version? Um, Annie Lennox, the Eurythmics, you know, here comes the rain again, and all that sort. Um, well, she's got a great voice. Um, she has this husky voice that's got a deep timbre to it. It just fits. But mainly, it's a, she uses a verse which in the original poem by Christina Rossetti, uh, few arrangements have it. And most of them just keep that same, you know, pretty melody. In the blue, you know, but just goes straight through the whole way. I'm not going to sing it, by the way. <laughs> then she goes up. And we're going to hear it go from, you know, sort of pretty melody to explosive. And then back to pretty melody. Three verses. And it's the explode. What does she do? Um, well, here's the verses, just to tell you them so you can hear them in a minute. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan. Earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone. Snow had fallen, snow on snow. In the bleak midwinter, long ago. Well, it's not a reach to look at frozenness, stillness, to be deaf, to be stuck, to be silence, to be that part of our life where it's pregnant of the tension of hopes and fears, uh, of ordinary time being, in fact, uninterrupted day in, day out, monotony in a bad way, stuck in a rut, can't do anything about it. My powerlessness and my aloneness, when I let it, becomes nearly unbearable in the bleak midwinter. But then the second verse is going to soar, and she just lifts it up out of the midst of suffering, of silence and forsakenness, of the midwinterness, and you hear it come into a stable, yes, the Lord God Almighty, but also the second coming, the once final and full coming of Christ. One of the only Christmas hymns I know of that brings the second coming of Christ, the second incarnation, when all time will stop. When the, when the director comes out, so to speak, and says, it's over, I'm coming out into the play, at which point every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. She captures it here. Our God, heaven cannot hold him, he empties, nor earth sustain, it's not big enough, for heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign. So as Revelation will say, a new heaven and a new earth shall come down where something entirely new will now finally and fully for all time be the only thing left. Heaven and earth shall flee away when he comes to reign. In the bleak midwinter, in the midst of our silence and suffering, a stable place sufficed. The forsaken, forgotten, dirty spot. The least predicted place where God would work in our lives. Really? There, Lord? You would do that? You're so absent. No, I'm so present. That's where I live. In the bleak midwinter, a stable place sufficed. The Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. So here's the, the, uh, the Annie Linux version of In the Bleak Midwinter. That's loud, love it. Who's <laughs> also really good. It's gonna be really loud, sorry. 
So with all that tension in mind, and that third verse, very much in line with what Mark said about the little drummer boy, um, you know, come to him only as he comes to us, impoverished and humble and of lowly spirit. But here, you know, let's just wrap up and move quickly to, uh, to some really good news. Born that men no more may die. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the Bible, I don't think, I know, it doesn't. I mean, if, if we look for it for kind of warm feelings about Christmas, it's just not there. And, you know, has any of y'all ever read, you might have, trying to look around, anybody ever read the epistle on Christmas Eve? It's like you got shafted almost, because it's the least Christmassy sort of reading of the whole night. You know, we, we read the prophecies from Isaiah, and, you know, wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, prince of peace, we all know that, and we hear the story from Luke. But then this is the reading from Paul, the epistle, for Christmas Eve. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of deeds done by us in righteousness, but in virtue of His own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit, which He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that we might be justified by His grace and become heirs in hope of eternal life. That's a great passage, but it doesn't feel like Christmas, does it? It's just very theological and all that stuff. Well, just to slow it down and maybe to have an ear for it, Because listen to what it says. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. So even stop. So the goodness and loving kindness of God does not remain removed and separate from us. It doesn't stay outside and alien to us. It appears. The goodness and loving kindness of God. Not just God separate as Zeus or some sort of out there but God our Savior, not God our helper, not God our encourager, not God our coach, not God our exhorter or admonisher, not God our, uh, our evaluator. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. The declarations begin. <laughs> he saved us. Not because of deeds done by us in righteousness, but in virtue of His own mercy. By the washing and regeneration in the Holy Spirit, which He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, and again, our Savior. He says it three times. He saved us, God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that we might be justified by His grace and become heirs in hope of eternal life. Born that men no more may die. Hark the herald angels sing. Charles Wesley's great hymn. Some parts of it. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Let the declarations begin. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. With the angelic hosts proclaim. Christ is born. Declaration in Bethlehem, veiled in flesh, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, veiled, as it were, the clothing over the Trinity, veiled in flesh, incarnate, carnation, carne, uh, you know, Spanish, Latin, um, uh, Italian, Portuguese, carne, meat, carnivore, veiled 
in flesh. The Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, our God with us. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all. He brings risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lays His glory by. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, clutched, or held onto, but puts it aside. Mild He lays His glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. To hear those words again, from Luke, which have brought tears to my eyes. I've read this now twice um, with another group, and I just wept the first time. I couldn't read through it through the tears in my eyes, so we'll see if this works. From Luke 2, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you. Hear the particular word from a particular voice to a particular person in a particular time in a particular place. That's the word of God to each one of you right here, right now. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you... I can't do it. (laughs) For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. You will find a baby wrapped in rags, lying in a dirty stable. The place you would expect to find me the least, that's where I am. And unto you, this thing has happened. And this brings us simply to to our invitation to come and to greet and to give glory, laud, and honor. Behold him. From O come all ye faithful, Yea, Lord, we greet Thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to Thee all glory be given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. O come, all ye faithful. O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold Him, born the King. And then from Joy to the World, Isaac Watts. Even the rocks would cry out, Jesus once said. People were like, Lord, who are these people? I was like, look, if they didn't cry out that I was the king, even these rocks, these stones here, would cry out in recognition of who I am. And so that's the back, one of the part of the background that Isaac Watts has in mind. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let the declarations begin. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, floods? Rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. So now I thought I'd close with uh, the soaring words from John in his prologue, uh, in John 1, just the, the, the beginning of his gospel. 
where he captures all this veiled in flesh, the Godhead, see, hail the incarnate deity, word of the Father, now in flesh, now. You've got to hear that word, now. The particularity of time, person, and place. Now in flesh appearing. Pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. We'll close with this from John 1, um, taken from verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at his Father's side. He has made him known. So, Lord, as we prepare our hearts uh, for, for Christmas, for the wonder of your love coming to us, um, coming into the world to save us sinners, um, Lord, come in this particular time, in this particular place, um, in this particular week, come to us afresh and anew, delight and exult in the monotony of every morning, renewing your grace and your mercy to us, that we would be brought to you where the declarations would begin, where you, our Savior, have come to save us, pouring out lavishly your grace and your mercy upon us, where we need you, Lord, but where we expect that you are most absent and most apart. Lord, come, come again, we pray, into that place in our lives. Uh, Lord, our needs are great. Your mercy is greater. Come. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you all Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.